As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show's Football GM Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Football GM Podcast. Mike Sando here from The Athletic, along with my colleague, my partner in podcasting, Randy Mueller. How you doing, Mr. GM? Doing great, Mike. Great stuff to talk about this week. Got a oh. trade deadline coming up not too long from now. Yeah. I love You know, when you're a GM, you, get to, you don't get to. You have to sit on your hands these first six or seven weeks. There's very little you can yeah. do for, for helping your team. And so I always felt like when the trade deadline started to get even a little bit insight that we would go to work and try to figure out some way to make our team better. Nowadays, GMs are way more, they are way more willing to make deals than they were 10 years ago. So I'm anxious to see what happens on the trade deadline. And that'll be a good topic for next week, I'm sure. Well, I know a good column too. You wrote a column recently going through some of the things that you think are important uh, for a GM at this time of the year. I got to say though, uh, I bet you'd enjoy being a GM even more now because of that climate, right? I mean, if you're always yes. trying to make deals, you want to have teams that will do deals, right? That's how you can really make your team better, right? Yeah, no doubt. It, in, and, you know, like I say, 10 years ago, even 15 years ago, I remember getting a call from Ron Wolf one time uh, leading up to the trade deadline. He was the GM of the Packers at the time. And, he, and I said, what are you calling me for, Ron? He said, you're the only guy that actually will listen to, to consider a deal. You know, <laughs> he said, we can't find anybody to make deals at all. So I took that as a compliment. And yeah, but nowadays you're right. People are willing to, to strike yeah. deals. They're willing to be creative in how they create deals. And I think those are kind of fun too, because you have salaries now that you have to kind of sort out as well. It was funny, the, the, the biggest deals that have happened the last three weeks are, are the new, newest nuance of trading players for a cup of coffee, right? It's a player, oh, yeah. a player and a seventh round pick for a sixth round pick from the acquiring team. And we've hey. seen three of those the last two weeks. It's Randy, crazy. It's is, the new Starbucks for a player for a this Starbucks. Is, no, no. What, the, what this is, is, hey, look, we made a mistake here. Yeah, but <laughs> no we're getting we're, we didn't have to cut the guy. Yeah, we're saving right. face, so we're going to switch four spots in the seventh round, and we traded him. Isn't that yeah. all this is? 
Yeah, it's cosmetic. I'm not sure, and you'll you'll know this name, the old-time Joel Bussert, who ran the league office personnel department for 50 years, he would have probably called and said, wait a second, guys, I know what you're trying to do here. This isn't enough to make a trade, you know? He always used to tell us, you got to give something up to get something, you know? And and the the line is is a little blurred now as to value, and yes, technically there is a little value from moving from the seventh round up to Uh. the bottom of the sixth round, but- yeah, it's not transaction much. laundering, Randy. This is transaction yeah. Yeah, you're laundering. Right. You're it, right. It's hard to Money find laundry. the paper trail. We <laughs> yeah. can't figure out exactly what happened. Did they, did they cut that guy? No, no, they traded him. They traded yeah. him. Oh, so I guess it wasn't that bad of a move when they signed him to all that money because they you know, they ended up trading and they got some value, right? Yeah. How long yeah. Have, the, have Denver wanted to cut Frank Clark? I mean, that's been on the books. Is he still on their team? I don't even know where he is. They said they, said they were going to cut him two weeks ago in hope that someone would give him a cup of coffee deal. And that, oh, I don't think it's goodness. happened yet, but I don't yeah. I don't even know. It's Now Now you say you're going to uh, cut somebody and in, in it's a veiled threat to, to make one of these cup of oh, coffee yeah. deals. Yeah, and maybe they can switch a seventh round pick in seven years yeah. from now, you know, and really get something out of that <laughs> yeah. deal. Unbelievable. So, yeah. hey, uh, the Thursday night game gave us some interesting stuff to talk about. Jaguars 31-24. Man, I thought that would have been a tough loss if the Jaguars lost that. Wouldn't it have been? Oh, I yeah. mean, that would have been. <laughs> they let them hang around, too. You're right. Woo, it got yeah. dicey there. Some fourth downs involved. Uh, uh, one of the things I – this isn't on our agenda necessarily, but one of the things, you know, last week when – Philly threw that interception on third and nine. Remember when they could have just sort of punted and played conservatively yep. and and probably won the game uh, yep. against the Jets. They would have had the Jets with no timeouts, about a minute left in the game, inside their no own doubt. 15, and said they tried to go for it. I was getting some texts from some of my you know guys that, I, that have been around the league a long time saying, hey, have we gone too far with some of this stuff of always trying to be aggressive? And I, I had that thought a little bit last night when the Jaguars, you know, with Doug Peterson coming from Philly, where they've really been at the forefront of trying to get a little bit of advantage here or there, uh, you know, by not just doing the old traditional, hey, we're going to punt all the time on fourth down. And I think the Eagles have gotten good value by being aggressive. They've got a great plan for it. Uh, they've been very successful with their short yardage packages. So, hey, more power to them. But when the when the Jaguars had that, had gave them the short field uh, there, I had that thought a little bit. Did you? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's become hard now to wind the clock. Nobody wants to do it. And there are many times in football, as we both know, we've seen a lot of things happen over the years where winding the clock is more important than scoring points. And I always go back to, it's probably the main reason why Mike McCarthy in Dallas moved on from Kellen Moore. And that was really what he was trying to say is that when we get the lead, I want to wind the clock as much as I can. I don't necessarily want to have my yeah. foot on the gas all the time. Now, you can dispute that that's not the way to go. And I'm sure analytics tells you it's it's not. But there's a lot to be said for winding the clock, reducing possession time for the opponent, um, giving them less chance to score. And the situational football is is really the hard part for these analytics charts and, and things to really come into focus. You've you got to consider where the situation is in the game and, and kind of the momentum and how it's going. You know, we're going to talk about the Thursday night game. That gets me thinking of that end of that Eagles game. So the Eagles against the Jets were uh, leading 14 to 12, right? I think they were leading 14 to 12 late in the game. They let the Jets score. Did you see that play? They, they let the Jets run it in. They didn't try to tackle the guy. Right. He just ran right at the middle. And so the idea was, hey, we're going to get the ball back with more time and two timeouts left. They're, you know, they're not going to bleed our timeouts down here and kick a field goal and we get the ball back with hardly anything down. 
uh, one. So they do all of that, right? They let them score. So now they're down, I believe. They got down 20 to 14 because the Jets went for a two-point and got it. Uh, but you had 146 left and two timeouts. So now you've got some flexibility at 146 and two timeouts. You do need a touchdown, but but it's not Hail Mary situation. You can run a couple of plays here that are normal mm-hmm. plays. You can mix in some normal plays, right? Because yep. you can set the clock. Well, they go pure drop back three plays in a row with a backup right tackle. And it looked yeah. so bad. I mean, they got they had no chance. Did you see that? Right. Yeah. It was just an no, interesting extenuation of it was like, hey, you've got this plan of how to have more time left. You get the more time left, and then you just implode. It was just interesting right. to me a little bit. Easy to have answers right the next day and the next week and all that. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk but, about the Eagles' offense here in, yeah, in the yeah, next yeah, set, yeah. but um, there's yeah. there's a lot to break down there for sure. Yeah. Okay. So those are some interesting things. Jaguars thirty one, Saints twenty four. Uh, I got a little slot here for Randy takeaways. What do you got? Well, I think the game itself was a typical Thursday night game. I hate to beat up on Thursday night football, but they're 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 becoming um, more of a burden for teams than than I think uh, the viewers deserve to see. You know, like I, I I didn't like the Saints' energy. I didn't like the way they kind of sleepwalked through the first half. Uh, I thought Jacksonville was the better team throughout that. But I just don't love what I'm seeing with the Saints offensively. I mean, we you can see it doesn't take it any, anybody with any brains to see that they're frustrated, that they're snapping at each other, that, you know, Kamara's back, the running back, Alvin Kamara's back, but he's back as a receiver only. Very little running uh, inside, can't break a tackle. Kind of a softer version of Kamara, I think, because he's trying to stay healthy, and I get it. Um and they were challenged last night with having their tackles out due to injury. I get that. But their wide receivers and Derek Carr are about on opposite ends of the book, not on separate pages. It's it's clear to me that they are not communicating well. Their routes really aren't adjusting to coverages that they face. And when I say adjusting, a lot of times we'll have routes that depending on the coverage, will be different things. And the receivers and the quarterback have to see it together the same way. And that clearly isn't happening. I saw the Saints throw a lot of what I would call back to the coverage routes. In other words, turn routes, curl routes, things where the receiver's coming back to the ball to catch them. It is very hard to get big plays. It's very hard to get chunk plays when the receiver is facing the quarterback and coming back at you. In other words, he's got to catch it and break a tackle. And it wasn't until late in the game where they started to get the ball to some people that were on the move where they could actually run after the catch. Their tight ends, I mean, we saw the end of the game. I felt bad for the kid that dropped the touchdown at the end of the game. But those checkdowns to their tight ends are actually, in my opinion, less than if we were doing it with a fullback. You know, and those are old school plays of, if we're going to throw a check down, the guy ought to be able to break an arm tackle. And the poor Saints are, are just undermanned. So, you know, it, it just it didn't seem right. I, I think their running game is lacking. Um, you know, they drafted a running back in the third round from TCU, Kendra Miller, who played a little bit in the Tampa game early in the season. I thought, geez, they've hit on a guy. He's a beast. He can run hard. He can also catch the ball. I've seen nothing of him the last two or three weeks. So they're having some struggles. Clearly, you saw Carr's frustration with the offensive coordinator. I don't know what's going to change. I really think Jacksonville is a good team. Obviously, their defense played good. Defense is hard to block and hard to scheme against because their players are so athletic. They can outmaneuver your best plays and your best offensive schemes. So, you know, it was it was probably a matchup that, in, in my opinion, shouldn't even have been that close. The fact oh, that the Saints hung around. Yeah, it was a blowout yeah. for a while. Saints yeah. hung around, and for whatever reason, Jacksonville kind of 
turned it over a time or two and let the Saints hang around. But I think the Saints are going to have to look in the mirror here. They've got some issues, especially on the offensive side. And before long, the defense is going to feel it because they're not scoring points. Now, I say that, and they got 30 last night, but it seemed like there was a lot of things that happened late that changed the complexion of the first three and a half quarters. I want to talk about Derek Carr a little bit because we were, yeah. you know, we kind of applauded that move a little bit when they got him, just figuring, mm-hmm. hey, in that division, you've got a good defense. Um, there's a bunch of teams in that division that, you know, uh, we didn't know what they were going to have at quarterback, and they could finally sort of stabilize that position with a solid, but, you know, if unspectacular, but still a solid veteran starting quarterback, you kind of know what you're going to get. Um, I I don't want to read too much into the first six weeks of the season, but the car stuff with all the histrionics and yelling at guys, yeah, yeah, really bothers me because it's like it's like fake tough guy vibes for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not Derek Carr. Derek Carr mm-hmm. is not a badass. He's not. Dan Fouts wearing the MFIC hat. Remember that? You ever yeah. seen the MFIC hat? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what MF yeah. stands for? IC stands yeah. for in charge, okay? <laughs> that's that's the real tough guy yeah. to me. Right. right. I hear uh, Derek, Derek Carr um, just blasting his wide receiver who stops his route after Derek Carr throws the ball five yards out of bounds with mm-hmm. a, there's no chance to be caught. Go lighten into the... To the uh, coordinator now you're new in this place to me mm-hmm. and you know who's is a real guy who really has great relationships in my opinion is james winston i think mm-hmm. james winston really is a guy who connects with his teammates and um this is just an interesting dynamic to me just a little interesting maybe it's gonna be fine but I don't get the sense through six games they're better off than they were with Andy Dalton last year. They're paying thirty-seven and a half million to Carr. What do you? What are the optics for you on some of these things? Not a big deal. This too shall pass. They'll be fine. They'll work it out. Or are you worried a little bit that some of these things we're seeing, apologizing for ripping into your coordinator, really showing up teammates a little bit in the game to me in a national TV game? I didn't like it. What, what do you think? Overreaction. No, I think you. I think the observations are fact. I don't think you can make any, you know, other uh, case for it. I think he is going out of his way to show leadership, but whether it's authentic and natural, I mean, who knows? But you're right; that hasn't been him in the past. I think he, and, and I've been in New Orleans. Obviously, I, I was there. I feel what he's where he's coming from because he probably sees it and hears it every day on the street. They are passionate about their team. New Orleans people, especially, know football. Everybody in the city is in tune to what's going on, and I'm sure he feels some of the frustrations, and he's hearing about it. And so, I see that I see a guy that's playing really tight. Uh, it's almost like, can, can you give him a couple shots of bourbon before the game just to relax him? You know, I mean, that's crazy, but that yeah, he's yeah, just so yeah. wound up, he's so tight. Interesting, yeah. He just he just, I just wish he could let it go a little bit. And some of it might be not believing in this scheme. Some might be obviously him and his receivers not you know, on the same page. So that does get old. Um, I don't know that Jameis Winston would be an answer. I kind of felt like when Taysom Hill came in the game, they got a little juice. And I would have said yes. early in the season, why are we playing him so much? But I I would probably say now after six or seven weeks, we ought to play him more because <laughs> there was a little energy at least and a little bit of mm, uh, just a little juice, you know, and, and some body body language that 
I like what I see from Taysom Hill. I, I would say this about Carr's mechanics. He has become very mechanical, if, if that makes any sense. And there are certain throws I see him really struggle to make. He wants to throw the ball on a line as often as he can. So the trajectory of his balls <clears throat> don't vary much. In other words, it's tough for him to drop a ball in over underneath coverage. It's tough for him to to make some of those throws, like when you shoot a basketball and your index finger's the last thing, to, it, it has some arc in it. It's hard yeah. for Derek to arc certain balls. Um, and, and that's just something I've noticed with him over the last few years that seems to be more prevalent this year. So not to get too deep into weeds, yeah. but there's yeah. some things there. You know, I agree with you. There's some things. I think you're probably looking at a team that's in the quarterback market in the offseason. I really do. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it just doesn't look good. doesn't look right to me. Maybe it'll settle out, but that pressure is only going to mount there in that place, right? Uh, with the expectations and an easy division to win, yep. and it just looks like off to the wrong start. We haven't talked a ton about Jacksonville. I, I just think this would have been a really tough loss for them. I think they're in a good spot. I think this yep. extra little weekend will be great for Trevor Lawrence. I love the fact that he played. Uh, mm-hmm. He didn't opt out and decide to rest it. And not only that, shoot, he had one of his longest runs of his career. He couldn't really probably cut, but I thought it was a good performance by him uh, for the most part. Got a little lucky that ball wasn't picked off. I thought it kind of was an interception by, <laughs> right. uh, you know, uh, by uh, Lattimore. But uh, all in all, I thought that's a probably a, a win they had to have, a good one they can build off on. And I think they're sort of on schedule. Would you agree? Yeah, I totally agree. I think... You know, they, they've run off a string now. Uh, they're winning sometimes without their A game. These are all things that evolve your team into being a good NFL team. And I think yeah. the message he sends by playing in this locker room was loud and heard loud and clear. Everybody's yeah. hurt. Everybody, including the quarterback, has to play in some, you know, uncomfortable situations. And I think he did that. Um, there's a guy that's never missed a game. I don't believe he's missed a game at Clemson. I'm, and I think I read he might not have ever missed one in high school. So he hasn't been dinged a lot. He's going to get dinged the longer he hangs around the NFL. So it's it's kind of cool to see him battle through yeah. that. Um, big, strong dude, though, that can battle through that. Another reason why we all are looking for 6'5", 230 when, we yeah. find, when, when, we're, when we're looking for quarterbacks. Yeah, I loved how he, I mean, he was running pretty fast for having a bad wheel. I thought it was impressive. No doubt. So, I, I wouldn't one. have said, hey, this guy's hampered at all. No. No, absolutely not. So great for them. Good for him. And, you know, we sometimes early in the year, we're like, hey, has this team arrived? Are they this or that? It's just a process. And I think for yep. the Jacksonville team this year has some expectations. Um, and, you know, for the most part, nice win against Buffalo. We know it was a tough thing for Buffalo to have to go to London, but they've, they've notched a couple decent wins. And yep. this, this was a good one to get under the circumstances. Now they can rest up um, and, be ready to go. Let's let's shift gears to the Eagles. You know, and, I, and they're coming off the loss to the Jets. Normally, when a five and zero team loses a game, Randy, we sort of shrug and say, "Hey, long season." Uh, but this week, with it's funny, with a lot of people sort of bringing their hands over the Bills' offense, which I don't think any one of us is really that concerned about. You saw some issues in Philly that are a little more concerning than we might expect for a team, like I said, that was five and oh, how worried are you? What do you see? What do you make of that situation for Philly? Well, I would concur. I think, I, I wouldn't say what I saw was a trend. I think the Jets have to be credited for a lot. And I'm speaking of the Jets defeating the Eagles a week ago. 
Um, it was just kind of how they went about it. Yeah, everybody can say they this might be a blueprint, but most teams don't have the volume of defensive players that the Jets rolled out there last week. And mind you, this was with, without Sauce Gardner too. So the Eagles were beaten physically in this game. Um, the Jets finally played up to the talk of everybody saying they had a great defense. I'll be the first to say I hadn't seen it yet. Um, and that's probably a whole nother segment of the show, but they beat the Eagles on both sides of the ball. And, and I know what the Eagles have been and done to others, especially that offensive line. The Jets got after him at, with pad level. They got after him with power. They got after him with energy. And it was a bad matchup for the Eagles. The Jets won the game at the line of scrimmage. And um, I just think it's one of those cases where teams are going to try to do certain things to Jalen Hurts and that offense. The, the Jets were able to pressure him with some, I think, some crazy exotic blitzes. I don't know the numbers behind this, but I saw several kind of blitzes and packages that I said, whoa, I've never seen that before. And they played really good coverage in, and they played pressure man-to-man man, man coverage on the back end. And it affected Devontae Smith. It affected some of the running game that the Eagles have have really been known for doing. And it just made me think, and when you go back and look at, I think this system that the Eagles are running has had change now. Shane Steichen's gone. Um, Jalen Hurts was hurt a little bit last year. I think they're really still reaching to find their comfort zone. I don't see as many RPOs run by Hurts, and I understand it. They're trying to keep him healthy. Um, the play-action pass isn't quite there. I see a lot of um, plays being called for for longer throws, maybe trying to hit a home run here or there, and not using the middle of the field and running some check down stuff. So I see some things that normally the Eagles don't do that they did against the Jets, and maybe they were just pressured into doing it. But And you mentioned the, the right tackle. Lane Johnson missed a portion of that game. There was also a big drop-off there, and, and they got after Jalen Hurts. He, he, I, they played a, The Eagles played a right tackle who was a draft pick from 2020. Um, big Driscoll. step back. Yeah, yeah, big step back, I think. Lane Johnson, if he is going to miss time, that's going to be problematic for the Eagles. So again, not not an alarming, but a lot of these things are things that teams go through during the course of a year. 17 weeks is a long time. You're going to have two or three week periods where you got to play with not your best players and you do have to change things. But I think if you look long term at where the Eagles are after six or seven weeks, I think we're seeing a little different offense than what we saw last year or the year before. Yes, and one of the things you've talked about is sometimes when you when you sort of take the world by storm a little bit, you know, the defense suggests and you sort of have to have another gear, right? Another option. Yep. You sort of have to have an answer, uh, uh, an alternative, something you can come back with. I know you've stressed that before, and we'll see that with them. Jalen Hurts year over year. Here's just some things I looked at. As you said, they're throwing the ball further down the field on average for less yardage with far fewer explosive canes. After Hertz holds on to the ball longer, a lot longer this year than in the past, with less early down play action, a slightly lower quarterback designed rush rate, a slightly lower RPO rate, with as many Jalen Hurts turnovers through six games this season, which is eight, as he had in the entirety of last season. So hey, they're five and one. Um, they've got a really good team, but those sort of vitals on him. Uh, are definitely bear watching over the course of the season as they, you know, really we were waiting to see, hey, is it sort of a next step? Because I think as you've noted, 
Like, it's not like their skill personnel is worse this year. They got DeAndre Swift, right? I mean, they should yeah. be... They should, He's better than little, they've had. That's right. They're almost a little better on paper, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I think A.J. Brown is really good. Devontae Smith, we know, is really good. DeAndre Swift is unlike anybody they've had in the past because he can play, he can run inside, outside, and catch the ball. So, yeah, I just think all of their parts aren't quite adding up to the sum that yeah. we've we are accustomed to with the Eagles offense. And it's a little different style, as we all know. New coordinator, feeling his oats there still. So there's just a period of adjustment here. Not really to set the alarms off, but some of the credit has to go to where the Jets and how they attacked them. No doubt. But some of those other things are trends over the whole year, too. It's not like they just had, you know, it was just one game. So there's a few underlying things just to keep our eye on as it develops over the course of the rest of the season, because they're obviously yep. going to be a playoff team. They're going to be in the mix to go to the Super Bowl. So we hold them to the, st- we are holding them to the standard of that they set last year. Uh, and that's fair. That's a, that's that's fair. a high yep. one. Yeah, that's a high one. Hey, uh, the Chiefs reacquire Michael Hardman, wide receiver. So now their receiving core consists of Sky Moore, Marquez Valdez, Scantling, Kadarius Tony, Justin Watson, Hardman, and Justin Ross. I guess this might be a case, Randy, of just adding whatever you can add uh, on the season. What do you think? Yeah, I think it definitely makes sense. I think it's an easy move for them to make. Here's a guy that you can have show up on Wednesday, and he's going to play on Sunday because he knows the system. He doesn't take a, you know, two weeks of coaching him up to get him ready to go. So that's a big plus. I think his style and his skill set are obviously usable. He's he's been a fairly productive player for them in the past. I don't know that that's the skill set that I think solves the Chiefs' issues, if if we are to even say the Chiefs have any issues. But I've thought all along that the letdown that the Chiefs have had are with the, and I'm not against these players, they're just probably not of the caliber that that I would feel good about. Justin Watson, Valdez, Scanlon, you know, these guys are kind of just guys for me. And I'd love to see them still go out and maybe even add another receiver, more of a production-based guy like even like a Mike Evans from Tampa, not saying he's available, but we know he's had some contract issues there. Somebody like that, another Kelsey, but at the wide receiver position that Mahomes can find, who has great feel for separation and spatial awareness. All these guys that they have, these young guys, like you mentioned, Tony, Rice is going to be okay, I think as well. But these fast guys, they don't have the experience and the spatial awareness to find the soft spots. Kelsey, the tight end, may be, Mike, as good as I've ever seen of finding space. He's the he's the best I've seen at least the last 10, 15 years. So they need another guy kind of like that. And then use these fast guys like Hardman, you know, to, Tony, to run deep and, and spread things out. And that's the combination that they lose a little bit uh, without Tyreek Hill and, and a couple of these other guys. So I'd love to see him find another receiver somehow, a more accomplished version of Watson or or Scantling, uh, and hey, they're playing Scantling ten million a year, so they obviously think he can do a lot more than than I do. But uh, I just don't know that the production's been there. Yeah, so I was looking the teams with really bad records, right? You sometimes when you're looking at hey, who would be acquire a player from? You sometimes you look at hey, who's out of it? Maybe not that they're mm-hmm. looking to get worse, but maybe they have somebody who's not going to be in their plans in the future, right? And so you may kind of make a, a little bit of a business decision. Hey, we're not bringing them back. This season's not going great, but. Yep. You look at who those teams are with the worst records. The Panthers, shoot, they need receivers. Or or their young guy, Bryce Young's not going to do anything. The Patriots, Mm -hmm. the Giants, the Broncos, those teams need receivers. Now, Denver could move, but obviously they're in the division. 
Arizona has Marquise Brown in the final year of his deal with about eight to nine million still owed to him. Does that do anything for you? I mean, well, it might. Again, it's not worth the money they're paying him, but you're talking about rental in that case because he has no contract. But yeah, unfortunately for for them, and I think there's going to be a competitive market to add receiver help over the next ten days to two weeks. I think it. There's you mentioned there's several teams looking, but unfortunately for a team like the Chiefs. Uh, the Jerry Judys, uh, Cortland Sutlands, uh, Hunter yeah. Renfro with the Raiders, they aren't coming to the Chiefs. They're not making those deals. So division teams aren't going to give another division rival a, unless they just overpay to the point where yeah. they have to forget who they're trading him to. But I just don't think that's going to happen. Chiefs and Raiders have done a deal. I remember, I can't remember what it was. Didn't they do something last year? I'd have to look. But I feel like uh, it was a draft day deal, though. It yeah, was some kind of a draft yeah, trade, yeah, yeah. Not, not for players. Yeah, going through the bad teams, though, you know, Chicago already traded Chase Claypool to Miami. Minnesota's not in position to trade anyone. They just, they're trying to hang on, and they've, Justin yep. Jefferson's hurt. Tennessee's two and four and has DeAndre Hopkins, but I don't think they're trying to get worse. I think they're going to try to scrap and claw and stay in it. They're not enough out of it. And yeah. they've got receiver, they've got quarterbacks, young guys who need help. They need guys. So, depending on Ryan Tannehill's situation. I guess we could ask you the Chiefs have done more at the position the past off, in this past offseason, or no, you know, hey, they used a second for Rasheed Rice, and we'll just see how he comes along. Is that a reasonable thing? They do. It's not like they're losing every week. No, that's right, and I agree. They're they're they are coming along. I think he especially kind of holds the key to to their offense, in my opinion, because Rice is a bigger body guy that can go, and so I think he's he fits the skill set that I'm describing. I just don't know if he's ready for prime time yet, and and maybe that's their best answer. They just got to wait him out for another month and hope at the the last third of the season he's improved and and ready to roll. Hey, speaking of receivers and acquisitions, I know. You're super fired up about Julio Jones. Uh, uh, how come you're laughing with Julio Jones going to the Eagles? Doesn't do it for you? Yeah, no, probably not. <laughs> I mean, I, I like Julio Jones. I have much respect for him. He might be going into Hall of Fame someday. I get it. But a couple years ago, there was a little more tread left on the tire. I just don't know what he can do. Uh, maybe he can send a message in your locker room that, hey, we're going to bring every veteran in here we can. I just don't know that it, it feels the same impact that some of these other teams have done or, or to, you know, their philosophies sometimes are, as was mine, to, to bring a guy in to replace a guy. Sometimes the name speaks louder. I just don't know that Julio Jones at this point is going to do it because other teams have tried. I think this would be, what, his third team and maybe the last couple of years. Yeah. So, yeah, it just hasn't happened for Julio. And, you know, maybe they'll find a way to unleash a little more left in the tank. But I think the tank's pretty close to dry. Before we get to the jam-packed GM notebook, which I'm looking here, has seven potential items. I mean, that's a record. <laughs> Seven-item GM notebook. Unbelievable. And get to our picks after, by the way, we were a combined 4-0 last week. So something something went right for us finally. Um, I do want to get to one other development in the league uh, with the Panthers coming off of their bye. Frank Reich hands over play-calling duties after six weeks. Now, Frank Reich did say from the beginning in Carolina that he would likely at some point hand over those play-calling duties to Thomas Brown, his offensive coordinator. He even said he even said it could happen this season. I just don't don't think he probably anticipated handing over the play-calling after an 0-6 start where Carolina's averaged, I think, 16 points and change per game on offense. But maybe something had to be done. Thomas Brown, come on down. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know Thomas Brown. Obviously, um, he comes from the Rams where he was their running back coach. He's a young guy. He's 36 years old. 
Um, he called plays before I did a little research at the University of Miami for three years. Um, I did hear Andrew Whitworth on the broadcast Thursday night speak glowingly of him, and that would go a long ways towards selling me a little bit. Apparently, he's a high-energy guy, really good rapport with the players. And the fact that he comes from Sean McVay's school tells me he's been around one of the best play callers in the game. So um, I really think the offense had got to a point in Carolina where they, you're right, had to make changes. Um, I don't know that all this bodes well for Frank Reich because he's brought there to be the offensive guru, to be the quarterback guru. doesn't really reflect on him as well, but at least he's willing to pull the plug on himself, I guess. Um, I don't know. It can't go any worse. They're 0-6 and and uh, really going nowhere right now. So why not? I think it's not like they're rolling the dice. Uh, yeah. The, the yeah. dice you know, been cast. I did think of, the, you know, there's been a lot this year about, you know, hey, uh, Frank Reich talked about his meetings with David Tepper. We all know David Tepper, the owner, is very involved, yep. his opinions yep. on what they're doing every week. And and Frank tried to kind of spin that as, uh, I thought it was a spin that as, hey, that's a positive thing. I don't think anybody wants to have weekly meetings with the owner. Uh, who's got opinions on, you know, the offense and all that type of stuff. I did go back and watch some of Reich's opening press conference when he was hired. And Tepper introduced him as a man of great integrity. He was excited to see him lead the franchise into the future. I don't think anything's changed there. But he also mm -hmm. talked about how the final four teams in the playoffs last year had offensive head coaches. The league keeps changing rules, uh, rewarding offense. And, hey, hiring Frank Reich was going to position the franchise really well in that context as an offensive head coach, which he can still do. It's only six games. I just wonder now, I guess, if the offense is still really bad over the next six games, which it could be, Randy. They're not mm -hmm. getting a—I I think a lot of it's personnel-based. Um, you know, they, they, they really don't have uh, weapons. Shoot, their best weapons are playing for the 49ers and the Bears, Right. Christian yeah. McCaffrey and, and DJ Moore. So yep. I guess if the offense is still terrible or the same or even takes a turn, um, I guess you deal with that when it comes along, huh? Yeah, I guess for me, Frank getting the job, and, and I was with Frank with the Chargers for several years, and you're right, you talk about there's no better man of integrity and, and a guy you want as a leader. I don't think I would put offensive innovator at the top of that bio sheet though and they they probably hired Thomas Brown initially to come with some new philosophy to come with some of Sean McVay's you know ideas and and kind of spin off his tree I think to bring some of the philosophies that made Sean McVay what he is so they probably thought that at some point so I like that part and again this team's 0 and 6 you know it's it's 0 and 6 and Look at the GMs getting calls during yeah, the show. Yeah, the GM is, is awesome. not getting calls. That, that's ridiculous. I put mine on Do Not Disturb, but I mine mean, is you, too. You I can't figure have it a out. Lot going on. Well, I, I I'm maybe, such maybe a genius. It's from one of your contact. It could, if it's from your contact, it could be let through. I don't know. You know it's it's yeah. from uh, my genius tech uh, background. You know that I can't even turn the ringer off. So I apologize. My point is on Thomas Brown, though. Um, he's a guy that I think can take risks. He can, he can do some different things that Frank is, is really not a risk taker. He is conservative by nature. And I think that's probably yeah. what they're looking for. Plus, I think he does have a – Thomas Brown being 36 years old has a really good rapport with the players. And I think they will buy in right away. He can get them to buy in. So hey, this team's yeah, 30 – Yeah, he's going to be down on the sideline. Yeah. yeah. He's going to give him some energy. Yeah. 31st in the league at 5.5 yards per play for our friends at True yeah. Media. So we might as well try it, right? Yep. Nope, I agree. I agree. We'll see how it goes. Can't get much worse.
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. GM Notebook. You wrote on this GM Notebook. Obviously, we're not going to get to all these. That's in the notes, Randy Reds. We're not going to get to all these, but we just might. We wow. might get to these. So one of them was, usually I'm accused, you know, sometimes rightly, of stealing from the GM Notebook. But I think I contributed to the GM Notebook. Well, I stole I, from I you. I stole it. from you. You stole yeah. from you. So, yeah. yeah, Michigan sign stealing. That was on, definitely on my radar. Yep. Jim Harbaugh. Who would ever think that a Harbaugh would possibly bend the rules <laughs> to get an unfair advantage. I, I just think of like, I think of like the Harbaugh's driveway ba- based basketball games and all those stories about Jim. Har- I mean, Jim Harbaugh would do anything to win. Yep. I mean, it's kind of been seen as a, as a ha ha, right? Can you believe these guys? I mean, these guys are, are so competitive. It's un. he would, he, he would, he would rig the, the game, you know, in, in his driveway basketball game if it meant beating his brother and everyone goes, ha, 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 ha. So uh, what do you think? Well, I laughed when I heard it, to be honest with you. But my world has been the NFL my whole adult life. So I haven't spent any time in college. I didn't even know this would be illegal. Um, then when I dug in a little bit and heard they may have flown somebody to games and there may be videotaping involved, that's Spygate. That's what New England did. That's the wrong part about that, is that you can't do those kind of things. With regard to stealing signals, I'm here to tell you, Mike, I I probably stole signals at 200 games in my career as the advanced scout for the Seahawks. It was just part of the <laughs> it was job description, right? We all did that. They do it to this day. There's a reason that these coaches talk and cover their mouth. They don't want to be you know, lip read into submission. And so there's a lot of things. It's not as prevalent now as it is, you know, 10, 15 years ago because the players on the field have earpieces and they can talk into those before everything had to be signaled in. So this was, again, I don't know what happened, but it's an old school attempt to gain an edge, like you said. And that doesn't surprise me that Jim Harbaugh would do that. I just think it's a goofy rule by the NCAA for the most part, um, unless the part of it that is, really at the crux of it is the videotaping uh, because yeah, oh yeah. NF- NFL guys. teams yeah. have stole signals forever. So I'm probably not the right one to say, way to go, NCA, way to stop uh, illegal activity. Yeah. I just don't think, yeah. I have a feeling coming down the pike that the punishment is not going to fit the crime for me. That's all. I don't, I don't think it's a giant crime unless there's videotaping involved. You know what? Another thing I thought was, you know, I don't know, Jim Harbaugh has become a little bit of a, target here. He invites it somewhat too. I just wonder, you know, who's, sometimes you wonder who's behind these sort of things. Like when, when Belichick got outed, it sort of came back to, you know, Eric Mangini was sort of a former Belichick guy and, and, you know, might've blown the whistle and that sort of a thing. So I just think it's interesting with Michigan having so much success and Harbaugh being, 
being kind of a hated rival by a lot of people. You, people don't. Oh, you, you can know, be a target now. You can you can put a target on your back. Yeah, There's no doubt. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that, that part of it's interesting to me. Just sort of. Yep. Uh, you know the all those types of imaginations. What else you got in our uh, seven item GM notebook? <laughs> We're gonna call this. A seven I, I'm step gonna drop, take that right? as a shot. I'm gonna take it as a direct no. shot at the notebook. And uh, okay, no, I got it's not it. a shot at the notebook. I'm not Derek Carring you. I'm not Derek Carring. Well, you I don't know. I saw your here. eyes roll, and you kind of put your finger up there. And, yeah. Ah, there was no eye roll. This is great. The GM notebook carries the show. It makes less work for me, so I'm all for it. Plus, it's the better stuff anyway. So what else, what else you got? Just another note that kind of caught my attention. That I don't know if gotten a lot of play outside of New York, but. The, the fact that Aaron Rodgers has reemerged with the Jets as a physical presence on the sidelines, I know got a lot of attention last week. He threw some balls without a boot. Yeah. Um, I actually think it is giant. I think it's awesome. I think it's the best thing that could happen for Zach Wilson. I think that he Zach Wilson finds peace of mind with this. He can go to Aaron still as if you know he was the big brother. Um, I think... And I, and I heard this, that he texted Robert Sala about coming and he didn't want to be a distraction. And Robert Sala said, come on, we, we need you. I actually think Aaron Rodgers helps Robert Sala as much as anybody because he kind of takes the edge off of him too. Um, he doesn't have to be the all-knowing, speak on every topic. Aaron Rodgers does his fair share of setting the narrative, just being on McAfee in a total different way that I was against yeah. when he was with the Packers. A total different void he's filling with the Jets. So- I like the fact that he's back. I just think he's he can they can all use him as somebody to bounce things off of and just give yeah. comfort to a young team that I've thought all along is without leadership when he was in a in a hospital bed three thousand miles away in California. Just my opinion. It's such an unexpected role for him that it's yes. a role we wouldn't think he would be great in because normally to get in the backup role or sideline role, you'd have to be benched or they'd have to be, you know, replacing you with somebody else and, and you wouldn't like that. But in this case, it's a totally different set of dynamics. And I'm with you. All that McAfee stuff gets tiring, but mm-hmm. I don't, I'm, I like, to me, the McAfee stuff, I don't even pay attention to anymore. Like, what, it, what I don't, he's talking about this or that. It's just, that's not making the waves for anymore because he's not starting. It's not like, it's, he's not talking about the game plan or that type of a thing. The support role thing is right. interesting. And I, I agree with you. I think it's been a positive a thing for them. And we talked about Zach Wilson last week. Uh, and so, you know, we'll see how that plays out. But I agree. I think it's been a positive thing. I think um, Robert Sala needs Aaron Rodgers. I really do. And I'm not, that's not just being disrespectful yeah. to Sala. I'm just saying no. he's trying to find his way as a head coach still. And I think he yeah. finds comfort with having Aaron Rodgers there. I really do. And I don't think yeah. he would hesitate to bounce certain things off of Aaron Rodgers as opposed to even another coach or something like that. It's just, I think he's yeah. his perspective is more valuable to this younger on-the-come Jets team than probably it was yeah. where Green Bay was a year or the year before yeah. ago. Oh, yeah, because the context of the relationship with Green Bay was so different. I mean, he was yeah. done there. He was frustrated. He wasn't really in the spirit of right. <laughs> helping, I don't right. think, others as much, which, which leads us into the number three item in the GM notebook. Yeah. What's wrong with Jordan Love? What's wrong with the Packers? I thought this group would be a lot better, more advanced at this point in, in the season. They are not. Um, just some of the numbers from True Media that I know you and I both use and some of the other staff members at The Athletic, 16% of his throws have been off target. That's third most in the league. They have the worst completion percentage as a team in the entire league. They're 28th in passing yards. That's toward the bottom of every you know team in the league. Um, 
I think the there's a lot of issues going on there, but I think the biggest thing for me is the lack of development of some of these receivers. And again, we mentioned this last week and we've poo-pooed all along that Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb leaving, yeah. but it did leave a little veteran void there of certain routes of certain securities that a quarterback needs. I don't think they've filled that. Um, Dobbs hasn't really developed uh, consistently. Uh, Christian Watson is still, for me, a straight line, fast guy learning to run route trees at the NFL level. Um, I like them and a couple of their other young guys, but this is not a developmental league, Mike. It's not. It's going to chew you up. And there's a lot of developing going on on the offensive side. And maybe some of that is just filling the voids, but it's prime time. It's ready to go at the highest level. These guys that have to have on-the-job training, whether you're a GM or a head coach or a receiver for a team, it doesn't treat you well. You don't have time for trial and error. So every Sunday is, yeah. is, a, is a grind. And I just think all of the combination of that is showing now with this offense. And I know uh, they had lost the running back uh, for several weeks. Uh, they've got to find a way to, to get Jordan Love going with a little more energy and some things sooner than later. I thought his vision from, from the pocket has waned a little bit and his decision-making has has waned. And, and hey, part of developing at the quarterback position is especially developing thick skin and not caring so much about what's being said or how your critique is coming down the road. I don't know. We don't know how Jordan Love's going to react to that yet. We don't know how adversity might set him off a little bit different than somebody else. So it's been a learning curve that I didn't think we were still at. I thought the learning curve would be more advanced. That's all. Well, all, every wide receiver and just about all of the tight ends on the roster are super young, like yep. been in the league less than two years. So yep. that's an interesting thing to me because, uh, you know, you can have different extremes of this. You know, I think when, you know, Kyler Murray was young, he's playing with Larry Fitzgerald, A.J. Green, DeAndre Hopkins, these guys who have been around forever and they're almost maybe in a different uh, phase of their life. There's almost a, there could almost be a disconnect that way if yep. you have too big of a gap. But in this case, maybe uh, there's just too many super young guys, right? Maybe in retrospect, yeah. there should have been one veteran guy in there. We've, you know, uh, you don't want to be in a situation like Carolina where Adam Thielen's your number one receiver, but maybe a guy like that, somebody, or or even someone who's just got four years in the league, five years in the league, uh, might be a helpful mix to that group. Yeah, and there's no more David Bakhtiari. There's no more Lindsay, the center. These guys have left too, veteran presence. Yeah. I just feel like there's a little yeah. void there of yeah. in the yeah, huddle, if nothing else, just in the huddle. We look around yeah. and, and who are we going to lean on? Who? Whoa, these guys are all younger than me. You know, that's that, yeah. that kind of permeates throughout a huddle. That 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 could be a problem, Yep. especially Good when point. you struggle. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Be interested to see. I noticed that his completion percentage is too. He's under 60% like most of the weeks. They're throwing the ball far down the field too. Mm -hmm. uh, there's just not a lot of rhythm and consistency right. and, and things they can count on. So we'll see how they play coming out of the bye. Um, what's number four in the GM notebook? I noticed a couple things this week just uh, on personnel issues, and this might bore some of our listeners, but I find it interesting. Teams are starting to sign injury replacements around the league and, and a lot of times they get them from their own practice squad. Well, I saw three or four of them this week change teams to go somewhere else. Okay. And what that means is when a team signs somebody off another team's practice squad, it, it's really allowed by the other team because they could match anything. But then they also have to 
have them active for three weeks. So it's a commitment by the new team to acquire somebody else's practice squad because you got to keep them up. You got to keep them active. A couple of those stood out for me this week. The Rams signed Miles Gaskin, the former Dolphin running back off Minnesota's practice squad. Um, an offensive lineman, uh, Sean Harlow, the Giants signed off Dallas's practice squad. So a little bit of an interdivisional uh, rivalry. Both teams were in need of players at these spots. Um, so I just find it a little interesting. These games are going to start to happen a lot more. Uh, injury replacements in most cases do come from somebody's practice squad, but most of the time it's your own. But this shows yeah. us again that pro scouting departments around the league are beating the bushes on other teams' practice squad guys. And if you find one that's better than the options you have, you you, you can go get them. That's, that's a possible. No, I like the three-game thing too because yep. – I don't want those guys. It's bad for those guys' development if they're just being plucked one week at a time here or there. Let's keep him on our team and develop him if right. we can. But if you want him, make a commitment to him. Then it's a win for him. Yes. You know? So I like that cutoff. So anyway. More so than just paying him a little more money to get him. It, it's it's yeah. a development yeah. of their career when they get that opportunity. Yep, absolutely. A couple other things that were part of the personnel grouping uh, designated for return. And, and the place yeah. that that jumped out at me in, was in Arizona, where Buda Baker designated from IR. We all know he's the heart and soul of that team. Um, what kind of happens with him over the next few weeks interests me. The other one was, and, and got a lot of run, was Kyler Murray being uh, elevated to able to practice yeah. and opening his 21-day window to, to come back and practice off of the ACL from last year. I don't know their intent with him. Um, I know this, Buda Baker is a proven commodity that could probably play for any team in the league. And I, it made me think about if I was a playoff team who really needed a spark on defense or something to put me over the top, would I offer Arizona something they couldn't turn down to get a Buda Baker? You know, um, he signed, yeah. I think through 24, remember a couple of years ago, he signed one of the first big money deals by a safety. I think his last year there is 24, which is next year. So there's some value there. And, and the team I thought of, and we're just hypothetically throwing Spit things out there. Yeah. yeah. What about the Lions, a team that is on the come, a team that could use a leader on defense? Uh, what if they offered Arizona a pretty good package of something? They've The Lions showed they were willing to trade even in their own division by trading Hawkinson the tight end a year ago. So they're aggressive. Brad Holmes wants to make a move. And again, I have no intel that says that this is possible. But if I was a team looking at GM somewhere and wanted to uh, uh, so, add a part, I would be after the Buda Baker thing just because I don't know if he's going to be part of their, their issues going forward. Part of the fix, or if he's because he asked for a trade early in the season. Yeah, yeah, he did. Uh, if I'm Arizona, why wouldn't I want to pay this guy a lot? I, I know he's had some injury issues, but he just seems like the type of guy you want on your team, doesn't he? Hundred percent. But I just don't know what their plan yeah. is. You know, I, I don't yeah, know. Uh, absolutely. He spoke out, you know, publicly about, hey, I don't want to be here. We've lost forever. I'm tired of losing. Sometimes, if if that is taken the wrong way, and I'm not saying it would be. Maybe Arizona, we know, is rebuilding. We know they're getting, you know, set for the future. If they could get a couple draft picks for him, maybe it's something they talk about. That's all. I just thought it was yeah. it, it, someone yeah. would have to make an offer to Arizona that's too good for them to refuse. I'm not saying they would give him away by any means. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I was thinking of that. That's funny you're mentioning that. I thought of uh, they wouldn't, you know, who I thought of? Who? <laughs> thought of, uh, I thought of Hooker, their backup quarterback that we were trying to put on the trading block a couple of weeks ago. I've I've uh, got that in my notes, and you're trying to ruin my column for next week. So, uh, uh, yes, he is a guy who there is, I think, 
there's a couple spots where he would end up, where he should could end up. If someone, he was a third round pick, and I'm kidding about the call. This will be yeah, part yeah. of a trade story down the road, I'm sure, and others will, will probably write it too. He was drafted by the Lions with a third round pick. He's out this year based on injury, not going to play. But if I'm a team, after what we watched last night in New Orleans, if I was willing to give a second round pick to Detroit, would that encourage them to send him? They're going to have to sign Goff anyway. Yeah, Goff is playing yeah. at a higher level. They ha- they can't get rid of him. They're going to have to extend him and pay him. Gosh, they might pay him yeah. $45, $50 million a year. He's playing that good. So what happens to Hooker? If Detroit can get a second round pick for him and having given up a third to get him, that's value, right? It's buy low, sell yeah. high. I, I, yes. I'm looking at a guy like Hendon Hooker because I think he's a starting NFL quarterback. Absolutely, yeah. You well, you mentioned him in the. I didn't totally steal that one from you. No, you, I'm you kidding. Yeah, that yeah, on the podcast yeah. before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to make sure. I didn't steal <laughs> no. the next column, I already stole to the GM notebook. I'm still got to feature columns. Jeez, <laughs> holy man, terrible. The I found the enemy. The it's us. Holy, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, like, uh, I'm stealing signals from you. <laughs> yeah, come uh, on, Harbaugh. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, the sixth item on the GM network, we already talked about that yes. uh, that trend of the the meaningless pick swap thing. So that was a good discussion. What's your last item in there? The only other item that I threw out there just for discussion, because I'm not sure. I try to look at these things sometimes from the GM's chair. Um, the Devontae Adams comments this year or this week from out of Vegas when he said, just in the last couple of days, it's not really about wins and losses. It's about me being great. It's about greatness. I think I sense he's a little frustrated. I understand he doesn't really, you know, uh, stamp his role there. He's not getting a ton of targets, but they're three and three. They're still a team that's probably got a chance here the next couple of weeks to to hang around. Um, it reminded me of some conversations that I had with some older players who, at times, they get that they are a bigger part of the system and they just feel like they're not being used. I think Devonte Adams criticized. Uh, people criticized him for all of a sudden using and turning these comments around saying he doesn't care about winning and losing. I think he does. I just think he wants to be used. I think he's been frustrated since he got there, really. He really came there to to play with Derek Carr. It didn't work out a year ago. Derek Carr got fired before he even you know, got a chance to expand on their college relationship because they played together in college. But I do know this, that the system with Vegas and that Josh McDaniels runs, uh, dictates where the ball goes, and doesn't really highlight particular players. And I sense there's a little frustration with him and maybe even the running back as well. So, I, again, this oh, is yeah. a, this is a place where I think they'll be in the quarterback market this offseason. I really do. So I'm just looking at his targets. So he's got 59 targets in six games. So he's getting about 10 targets a game. Mm, that's, that's more well, than I would have thought. Yeah. That's about what he get, gets every year. He's, he's got 31% of the team target share. Mm-hmm. Last year, it was 32%. It was 32% this last year in Green Bay. 34, 31, 29, 24. So his his target share of the team targets is about, you know, what it's been. I don't, I haven't, I'm not sure what it is from a game-to-game thing. That's just interesting. I think they've also had a situation where uh, they've had quarterbacks in and out of the lineup. They played Aiden O'Connell. They played Brian Hoyer. They played Jimmy Garoppolo. And the outlook at that position is not what he, I'm sure, hoped that it would be. Yeah, uh, I would even, agree. You, know, you just sense some kind healthy, of frustration with him. Some frustration. And, and your points are valid. I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, let's get to some super valid points this week because we are at the hot hand all of a sudden after, in, in the picks. 
Uh, I won on Miami. The my Miami, by the way, I picked Miami. Gave thirteen and a half. They were down fourteen nothing. <laughs> still covered the thirteen and a half spread. <laughs> That's ridiculous. And then, thank you, Raiders. I, I I picked against the Patriots because just because it's the Patriots and the Raiders get the safety to cover the three <laughs> points I had to give. I mean, that was just living dangerous. Hopefully you bought it, a lotto you. ticket after the game on your oh, way home and, and won that too, luck. you know. I was loving that. You won on the Giants, given 14 and a half. Great call there yeah. because they played uh, they played Buffalo close. Really should have probably won the game. And then uh, you won given Cincinnati giving three, which I don't know how Seattle didn't score more than 13 points. They're in the red zone about 35 times. But they never <laughs> scored. So that yeah. one came out good. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about this week? Well, I would start by saying my confidence meter, even though you gave those numbers and makes me yeah. seven, five and one for the year, my confidence meter yeah. for this week in these games, eh, I'm giving it a five out of 10. I don't have okay. that same conviction, but I did find a couple games that I felt are interesting. The first of which is I'm going to take Tampa. They are giving two and a half over Atlanta. I think the Falcons QB issues kind of came to light last week. I don't know that facing Todd Bowles and that defense is what the doctor ordered for uh, where Atlanta is. I think Atlanta's offense is fairly predictable. They do want to run the ball. I think that can be a strength of Tampa, and I would think it would be this week. I think that it's going to be a low-scoring game, but I'm going to pick Tampa because I think they can make this thing happen with Baker enough to where they'll win by more than two and a half. Do you think, would you pick Tampa to win that division now? Um, probably, probably. Being the, 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 the offense in New Orleans is so disjointed, I don't know how that one gets solved. So, yeah. I, I, yeah Tampa's already beat to New, went to New Orleans and won. So Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah it's just, you know, it's kind of a major of how yeah. do we think that Baker Mayfield is going to be do, able to play well enough throughout the whole year? It's just kind of it's just interesting to me. Yep. You know, I I uh, like having him at that price, you know, for how he's playing yep. relative to the other. What's your other pick this week? My other pick, I'm going to take Green Bay kind of bumping mm-hmm. off what we talked about earlier. There, They play Denver in Denver. I think Jordan Love gets well. I think some of the issues that I brought to light in our discussion with them uh, can be put to rest against a historically bad defense. I don't think that's going to really get fixed. So I think Green Bay could go there and win the game. And they're actually the favorite yeah. by one point. I just think they're the more talented team right now and playing with, even though they've taken a, a couple losses, they are really desperate with some authentic high hopes that have been dashed. I don't know what kind of mindset you're going to get from Denver from here on out. I just think there's so many uh, different narratives going there now with Peyton, with the receivers, with Russell, with the defense being bad. I just don't know that that team's going to ever be on solid ground. So I'm taking Green Bay over Denver as well. Yeah. No, I understand that. You know, one thing about Denver was out of the blue, they played a good defensive game against Kansas City. You know, that's just kind of interesting to me. I don't know if that's replicable, repeatable. Because uh, they've been so bad, yeah, uh, so much of the year. So that this is kind of a game where I'm not really a hundred percent sure what to expect uh, from either team, but it's definitely one Green Bay needs. Yeah. So I'm going to pick more games this week, Randy. Oh, you uh, have good confidence level. You're you're way well, up there. Whoa, dang. We're uh, well, you go feel, feeling so, our so, oats all I, of a sudden. I, I, way. Shit, Give me I, the Greek I, here. I, 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 <laughs> I win one hand of blackjack, and now I'm putting all my chips in there. Now you, you know? want to roll oh the dice every gosh, day. Okay. Let's go. I'll be able to know. So, but I, I do have some that I'm kind of interested in. I'm going to take Detroit and get three points against the Ravens. I think it's a good game could go either way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think Baltimore is necessarily the better team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is a game circled uh, for Detroit. I think this is a... 
this is a game against a stable, successful franchise. It's a measuring stick game for me. Detroit really stubbed their toe against Seattle earlier in the year when they kind of had an opportunity to, to beat a team that's been successful over a long period of time. And I, I think this is, I'm just not 100% sure where the Ravens are at on offense yet. You know, I think they're trying to do some different things, but I just don't know that they're there yet. I think they've been a little hit and miss. I think their whole operation, the management yeah. of the games, everything's just been a little bit off early in this year. They may get there by the end of the year, but I think Detroit is a team that's a little bit in uh, further along in sort of where they want to be right now. Mm-hmm. And so I think Baltimore's a little vulnerable uh, here. And so I'll take Detroit and get the points. Gotcha. Um, I'll take Buffalo and give the eight and a half with New England. It's just continuing my thing that New England is really bad, and I'll just take whoever I'll take the other team, even if I have to give points, until I'm proven wrong. I got you. And I think Buffalo this week. People asking Josh Allen in his press conference whether he still has faith in his offensive coordinator. I mean, the overreactions of week to week. <laughs> and and the Bills coming off a tough game against Brian Dayball, who knows their whole operation. Uh, granted, it was a bad game. They didn't look good against uh, against the Jaguars in that game that you know was yeah, in London. Uh, yeah, in London and stuff. I just think Buffalo is still a so much better team than New England. Mm, I agree with that. And I think this is a get right game for them. And I think we're going to see it on both sides of the ball. And to me, I'll be surprised if it's closer than eight and a half. What about you? Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I think Buffalo is a way better team, and and I don't have much faith in what's going on in New England right now either. I just don't see the what we can hang our hat on if I'm New England, especially offensively. It's it's been yeah very milk toast, very just a bunch yeah. of guys running around. So I will also take the Chargers in five and a half against the Chiefs at Arrowhead. I think this is a uh, a Charger team that we can all poke holes in, and I would never take it with if it was an even pick. When I had to, you know, the, there was no points involved. But they're the type of team that plays. They may lose, but they're going to lose like a close game. Yeah. You, you look at the. They're taking Miami to the wire, and then we're picking apart their game management and all these little things. But they're in it, mm-hmm. and they're in it when they play Kansas City. They they won at Arrowhead, I believe. Yeah, they, they, they've won they an arrowhead under Staley. Yep, like I'm not saying there. they're going to win the game, but I just think the way the Chiefs are with their offense not being quite as explosive, uh, and, and I think a lot of attention on the Chargers. I think Justin Herbert's still a really good quarterback, but they, he had a really bad game. I thought against Dallas, a kind of a where did that come from? So unless Herbert's just totally off with this, you know, his left finger's hurt, and so he can't throw the ball straight anymore. <laughs> right. You know, uh, I. I'm fine taking the five and a half and Chiefs may win the game, but I think it could be close. Right. So I'll do that one. I'm also taking the 49ers and given seven. Good luck, Minnesota. Yeah. Good luck to you, Minnesota. I think Minnesota <laughs> yeah. is in no position. I like that no pick Justin a lot. Jefferson. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the 49ers just getting taken to the woodshed in Cleveland. Yeah. And by the way, they win the game with a 41-yard yeah. field goal at the yep. end. That's how, and this looked like, oh my gosh, we can't even function. Right. Well, that Cleveland defense is not showing up right. in Minnesota. No. I think this is a game, this is a get-right game for the 49ers, and they, they might win going away, might win by 10 points. Where's so. the game at? Is it in San Francisco? That game's in Minnesota. Oh, in Minnesota, okay. Uh, in Minnesota. Man, yeah. I covered a great game there once. 
49ers Vikings where far through the last second touchdown pass against the Singletary Vikings. I mean, it was an unbelievable play on like the last play of the game. That place is fu- that place is no fun to go to. Yeah. I, I know it's not the old Metrodome, right? But that going to Minnesota usually is a is a tough deal. You know yeah. that horn starts playing. Yeah, uh, <laughs> got a lot of memories of going in there. Yeah. But um, I like the 49ers. So those are my. Detroit Buffalo Chargers 49ers, and we'll see. I like the boldness. I like your aggressiveness. I'm, yeah. Hey, I'm yeah. for it. Yeah. Let's let's. Yep. We're on we'll a roll. Let's keep the pedal down. I'm eight and seven this week, so I could I could be eight and eleven after this <laughs> week. Which, you know, I'm just banking on at least getting a couple of these ones right. But those are the ones I like. You got anything else? No, that's good. I like it. I thought we hit on a lot of topics today, so hopefully our listeners found it somewhat interesting. We did. No, it's fun. I, it was really good. So you can find Randy on X at Randy Mueller underscore. You can find me there at Sando NFL. You can find us both at The Athletic. Make sure you download the app. Make sure you come back here uh, to find us every week. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at Fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Happy to be joined with my colleague, Dan Pompey. Dan, welcome. We're going to talk a little all-time great football here today. Good to be with you, Mike, and always enjoy talking about football history with you. Absolutely. So this Top 100 book, I don't, did you receive the books yet? I have not, not seen them. Just so everyone knows, this book is coming out of the 100 greatest players in 
NFL history that Dan Pompey and I uh, wrote some of it. We edited a lot of it. We came up with the final list. But it was so cool the other day, six boxes of the actual book. These are big hardcover books. In fact, I got one right here, The Football 100, Mike Sando, Dan Pompey, and the Athletic NFL Staff, The Story of the Greatest Players in NFL History. It's really a cool, weighty book. I mean, it feels awesome. Really happy to get these. So we, I signed a bunch of these. Hopefully that doesn't hurt the value of them too much. I sent them off to you, so you'll be doing the same. It's six boxes of these things. They're heavy. They're filled with all kinds of interesting tidbits and stories. But let's get to the list itself. Dan, Tom Brady, number one, all the way down to number 100, Fran Tarkenton. Uh, there are a lot of quarterbacks on here. What was sort of most fun for you or stood out for you in putting together this project uh, that is going to be published here soon? Well, it was a democratic process, Mike, uh, which you and I and uh, four other people uh, voted for who was on the list, who's off the list, who goes where. Uh, so, you know, the, there are a lot of uh, players that are in places that I might not agree with, that you might not agree with, but, uh, you know, that's that's kind of how this goes. And certainly the readers are not going to agree with everything, which is kind of the fun of a project like this. Uh, you know, you, you have to kind of use a lot of uh, your opinions, your knowledge, and that's going to be different. Your personal experiences are going to be different from everyone else's. I mean, I think you could even start arguing about number one. Well, certainly when we started this process, uh, Tom Brady had not yet won uh, his seventh Super Bowl as a member of the Tampa Bay Bucks. And I think Jim Brown, we had Jim Brown number one in our, in our initial <laughs> list. And uh, Brady kind of moved up a little bit. And I mean, I think, I certainly think you could still make an argument for Brown, depending on how you look at this. But, you know, Brady's championships are, very difficult to ignore. Yeah. And what's so interesting about that too, Dan, and like you said, we had this initial list that was published on the site on The Athletic that's different than this one. That was an initial one where we had more of a democratic process. In the end, you and I were able to uh, make some tweaks a little bit more to our liking and kind of put our signature on it a little bit more. You were a huge advocate for like Dick Butkus, uh, rest in peace. Uh, and, and he was at number 10, and probably you you probably would have even put him higher than that. Uh, I think we could easily make a case for him being higher than that, but the, which we can talk about. But the Brady thing is so interesting to me because not only did he win the seventh Super Bowl with Tampa, but then since then we've seen New England struggle more without him. We, we now have a larger body of work of kind of Bill Belichick struggling to right the ship. And so it appears now that Tom Brady might have been even more instrumental uh, in the success of the Patriots, especially when he goes and leaves and immediately takes a team in Tampa that had talent but hadn't won anything for years. I mean, they had a terrible record over the previous decade, and they win it all. So I do think it probably does, uh, you know, cement his status at number one. And put it this way, if he was not number one, that's probably the thing everybody would want to talk to us about uh, when the book comes out. And I've done several media you know, uh, conversations on this promoting the book. And no one has asked me, how did you have Tom Brady number one? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, the other, the interesting part of that too, is that everybody who is reading this book knows Tom Brady well. They watched all of his career. Yep. They're very familiar with everything he's done. Jim Brown, not so many people saw him play. And there's a lot of players on this list uh, Johnny Unitas is number nine. 
You mentioned Dick Butkus. He's number 10. And then 11, we've got Otto Graham. Otto Graham. Who, who played in, you know, BC, right? So but with the championship like every year. Now, easy, you know, there wasn't a, there wasn't four rounds of the playoffs or anything, but he still was like almost, I think, just about every year of his career, they were in the championship. Well, and there was a long period of time, decades, when anybody did a list like this, Otto Graham was number one. So the, the point that I'm getting at is, you know, there's, there's a real, I think, inclination, uh, maybe a temptation to look yeah. at the players who have played in the last, whatever, 10, 20 hour lifetimes, uh, who, who, you know, depending on how old we are and say, well, those are the best players of all time. And it's, it's easy to forget about players that we never saw a player. We don't know as much about who played in an era before all the media, right? It, you know, this, this crazy amount of everything is scrutinized like crazy. Now we see every play, we see it on uh, all 22 film, uh, we we talk about it all day. You know, there was a time, a point in time when uh, you only kind of saw these things uh, when you went to a game, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What if we had done a list and it was like Jim, well, Jim Brown, people know. I think everyone knows Jim Brown. Even he, He's enough current to be legendary in people's minds. But what if we had like, you know, Otto Graham, Don Hudson, Sammy Baugh, uh, as our top three, that wouldn't that have been fun? People would be like, oh, how old are these guys? I mean, you know, <laughs> crazy. Well, and you know, and, and you go, we. I don't think we have anyone on our list who played in the twenties. I'm not sure if we have anyone who played in the thirties. I'd have to go back and and look at each name. Uh, but certainly, you know, Jim Thorpe is not on our list, for instance. And some people think he was the greatest athlete of all time and certainly a phenomenal football player. Red Grange, not on our list. Uh, so um, it's, it's an interesting aspect of the conversation that uh, I'm sure a lot of people will uh, enjoy discussing. Yes, I went, uh, Thorpe was an interesting one, but you look at the number of actual years of playing in the NFL, it's not a lot of years, right? But just such a legendary figure. So I, I would just like to kind of recap our top 10 here. So we had Tom Brady, Jim Brown, Jerry Rice, Lawrence Taylor, Reggie White, Joe Montana, Peyton Manning, Walter Payton, Johnny Unitas, Dick Butkus. Is there anyone, Dan, I know you have the list in front of me, is there anyone a little lower than that as you're looking that you might rather have in the top 10 if we were, you know, if you got to do just your own soul Dan Pompey list? Or was there, is there anyone up there that you question at all? I would have Don Hudson in my top 10. Okay. Um, you know, to me, he's neck and neck with Jerry Rice. Obviously, the hard thing is he played in this different era, right? Where you really can't compare. Uh, what his challenges were to what Jerry Rice's challenges were. What you can compare, and you did this very well in a, in a tremendous study uh, that that we did in the process of this book, uh, you compared how these players dominated in the period of their own uh, era. So, oh, yeah. and if you look at Hudson's, what he did, I'm sure you'll you'll recall, you might have- uh, I, I, I can explain it, yeah. That. Yeah, why don't, you, why don't you take that? Because Hudson, to me, uh, was as dominant probably as any player in NFL history. I agree. And uh, who was I talking to years ago? I might have been, I can't remember if it was Lindy Infante or Zeke Bratkowski who'd been, who had been in Green Bay. God, who was it? I forget who I was talking to. But anyway, they had made uh, 
they had made the drive to Canton from wherever they were coaching and they watched the Hudson films because they had all of his old films there and you could actually watch them. And it might have been Raymond Berry. I think it was Raymond Berry who did this great wide receiver. Um, I think it was. It was Raymond Berry. Uh, he watched all of the Hudson's films and couldn't believe it. Could not believe how ahead of his time he was. You know, when you look at the helmets they were wore then, it doesn't look like it looks today. And you think, oh, football wasn't as sophisticated, passing game wasn't. Uh, but certainly incredible. So what I did to evaluate elite wide receivers, this is what you were alluding to, was I said, look, it's hard to compare across eras because a yard is not worth what a yard was before. The rules are different, all of that. But I think for wide receivers, we can agree that uh, where you ranked among your peers in a given year in yardage is significant. And so if we just evaluated everyone's career by where they finished in receiving yards relative to their peers in, the, in, the, in their best seasons, we would have something to compare. And when I did that, I really settled on about, let's take the best eight years of every wide receiver's career. Eight was a good number to require longevity, reward longevity, but not have unrealistic expectations. Because when you really look at it, besides a Jerry Rice, there's hardly anybody who has, you know, 10, 12, 13, 15 elite, totally elite years at receiver. So that eight-year window of evaluation, once I did that, uh, Jerry Rice and Don Hudson were like at the absolute top. They, they were number one, uh, like tied, because I think they had each led the league in receiving like maybe five, six times, you know? So there was enough of those years that they were almost in, their average year of their top eight years was almost like leading the league. Uh, Randy Moss, I think, was third. A little bit of a surprise, Torrey Holt was four. That just showed that Holt didn't play forever, but his his eight or 10 years were amazing. Uh, Steve Largent was up there. I mean, people forget he's one of the few guys to retire as the number one guy in receptions, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns. That, that has rarely been done, only a handful of times. And then uh, another guy who was pretty high, who's a current receiver, uh, was Julio Jones. So uh, we ended up putting him uh, on this list where I think initially, you know, I don't know if initially he was on uh, the first one or as high as he ended up being on it. Julio Jones here is, I believe, let me find Julio is number 56, pretty high. And that study that I did really helped move him up. Well, and you know, another player who was not on our initial list, who ended up being included in this book was Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Uh, came in at 98, and there was an interesting discussion there. I believe when we first started the process, uh, he had won one Super Bowl. And we said, well, you know, hey, there's there's a lot of quarterbacks who've won one Super Bowl who aren't on this list. Quarterbacks who've won one Super Bowl who aren't even in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And he was very young at the time. And over the course of doing this process, uh, Mahomes won a second Super Bowl. And he, he actually went to a, yeah. a third and lost it. So we said, you know what? We better get Patrick on the list. The arc is, <laughs> is looking pretty good on a career. It was. <laughs> we snuck him in at 98, but he's got a bullet next to his name, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He might be. Exactly. We're pretty, we're trusting that trajectory. And I think one of the things that really stood out to me about him, uh, when you look at most of the great championship winning quarterbacks over the years, you know, you Terry Bradshaw in the 70s, Joe Montana in the 80s, 
certainly there were some guys in the throughout the 90s and Troy Aikman and and uh, uh, Brett Favre or Steve Young, uh, you, you, Tom Brady, certainly in the more recent era, the guys who've won championships, um, they've typically done it while being great quarterbacks, but also having some really good defenses. You know, if you look at the, in the 1980s, there's no team that allowed fewer points than the 49ers. They had Hall of Famers on that defense. They were great defense. Uh, and you look at Tom Brady through his time in New England and even in Tampa Bay, those are top 10 type defenses. The thing that stands out to me about Mahomes is he's won it all where the defense wasn't even in the top half of the league or they had a really bad special teams where they don't have a good running game. Those are all things that really make it easier for a quarterback to win it all and succeed. I think Mahomes is on a little bit of a different path here. So I felt pretty good about putting him on there, not just trusting what he's done in the future, but really appreciating that some of the things he's done already are a little bit different than a young Tom Brady with a great defensive team. And maybe they weren't putting it all on his shoulders, right? Absolutely. And you know, Mike, I think one of the most difficult parts of all this is when you move a Patrick Mahomes up onto the list, you have to move somebody off and, you know, leaving off guys who are really oh, deserving yeah. is difficult. You know, there's only a hundred players in this book. Uh, there's 300 and what are they about? 350, I believe now in the pro football hall of fame. So we're leaving off all those hall of famers and all the other great players, you know, uh, players who really changed the game and did things that, that hardly any others did before or after them. And, uh, you know, that, that was a struggle. And there are players that we both think uh, should have been Absolutely. on the list that aren't. Um, how about this? Troy Aikman, winner of three Super Bowls, is not on the list. Uh, Jim Kelly went to, went to four Super Bowls, didn't win one, but the only, only player to, to lead his team to four straight Super Bowls, he's not on the list. Um, Derek Thomas, not on the list after, you know, he set the sack record. Um, you know, it's, uh, Larry Fitzgerald was another one. I know Larry Fitzgerald should, I mean, should probably be on there, but it's kind of like when we do the hall of fame, you and I both vote on the hall of fame panel, you can only pick certain money numbers. So you leave off, you invariably leave off guys who, who belong on it. Does it, does it make sense to say that there's 150 players that should be top 100 players? Right. And that, that's a fact. <laughs> yeah, ab yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. you, you might expand the number to 200. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I put a little list together, too, of like, you know, a couple other receivers like Marvin Harrison, James Lofton. Uh, you know, I think there's some other guys like, uh, oh, shoot, I really like Dan Fouts. You know, I think he was a, an excellent player. Willie Rofe. You know, I think Michael Strahan was very good. Julius Peppers. There's, there's a number of really good Derek Brooks. There's just a number of really good players that you could could consider for a list like this. And we did, <laughs> we wanted to put them on, but in the end there were, uh, only 100 spots. Uh, uh, I think it's a fun list. I think it's impossible to have the correct list. I think the criteria is too difficult across eras, across positions, but it sure was fun putting this together. I'm proud of the list. I hope people enjoy it. I know you feel the same way, Dan. Yeah, it was a ball doing this project and uh, enjoyed working with you. And uh, I think the book is going to create a lot of good conversation and, and people will uh, get a kick out of reading. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody. This was the Athletic Football Show's Football GM Podcast.